Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for Wednesday, the 16th of November, 2022. Happy hump day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I want to get to this as quickly as possible, so don't forget to go to patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast or DerekHunter.locals.com. Enter to win. Uh, who the hell is it? What is it? It's Judge Janine versus Anne Rice. Autographed books by both of them up for grabs, so go Check it out and enter to win, support the show, get bonus content, things like that. I uh, took the girls for ice cream yesterday because I had the day off. And I'll post a couple of pictures of that as well that you can check. Everybody can check out. You don't have to be a member to see those. You don't have to be a member to enter to win. So enter to win. Join, please. Anyway, thank you. Uh, we're, uh, this is before Trump's big announcement. I don't know what Trump's big announcement's going to be, but I'm going to speculate about what's Trump's big announcement's going to be and all sorts of other stuff. The big, the big news as we start off is a preview of the big statement tonight by Donald Trump down at Mar-a-Lago. Now, what will it be? We don't actually know. There's a lot of speculation and educated guesses and what have you. But then again, didn't we just go through an election where everything was an educated guess? (laughs) Where everything was like, ah, here's what's going to happen. And you get all these soothsayers who are about as effective as you might expect a 1-800-psychic to be out there telling you, hey, man, this is how things are. This is how things are going to go. Here's the truth. Here's what's going to happen. Well, Donald Trump is going to make his big, we'll talk about it tomorrow, but, you know, Time is just one of those weird things that you can't get ahead of yourself. Even if you think you know what's going to happen, you shouldn't, as evidenced by the last week and a half. So uh, my my belief, my firm belief, my firm commitment to not playing the prediction game holds. It holds, and it's absolutely justified. And I'm I'm super proud that I never do that sort of thing just because I, I wouldn't. I, I, I'd, I'd suck at it, first of all. And I feel like, you know, in a weird karmic way, what I root for, if I say so openly, doesn't happen a lot of times, particularly in sports. So I prefer not to tell you what I think is who's going to win the Super Bowl or the World Series or who I... No, I, I get to maybe tell you who I think will win, but who I want to win, different thing. And if I put money on them, forget it. So what will Donald Trump say tonight? We don't know. We're not going to know until he does it. So I'm not going to pretend to be a, have insights into it. But uh, since the Internet exists, since the communication lines exist, I'm just curious to know what you guys think. Contact me. Let me know. Do you want Donald Trump to run again? Is that what you want? We have a uh, another result. And this one was a, a big one out in Arizona. Carrie Lake. She there were very few people as associated. She was the female Donald Trump. I admit I fell for it. I thought she was a hell of a candidate. I only saw, and you really want to talk about what was going on. And it's sad that so many people, what I'm about to tell you, can't be said in very many places. And I could be wrong, but it's it's my opinion. But I know that it's not my opinion alone. 
It's just that there aren't very many people who will say it. Fox News, I think, really screwed Republicans this year. And they're, they're responsible not necessarily for the outcome, but for the shock of it. Because if you watched it, you watched all of these people saying, oh, my goodness. That's a foregone conclusion. Republicans are going to win. Republicans are going to win. Carrie Lake is going to be the next governor of Arizona. I believed in the hype. I bought into the hype. I really did. It made sense. Look, I thought that she was a great candidate, but what did we see about her? If you think about it, this is the power of perception, the power of the way things are portrayed. You saw her ripping the media, which was great. Liked to see that, and she was very effective about it. You saw her uh, on there getting softball interviews, and you saw her in reference or heard about her in reference to polling that had her well out in front of everybody else. That creates an impression. Whether or not they knew it was a false impression or not doesn't matter. They were using polls that seemingly were accurate, I guess. There are other polls that showed it a much closer race, but you know, when somebody's really kicking somebody's butt by 11 points, why talk about the one that shows them up by just two points when the margin of error is four points, right? So you had people on these this network telling you it's a foregone conclusion. She's going to win. She's going to win. And they showed you only the best clips. They showed you only the best clips. And that's where the deception came in. That's where the molding of reality came in. There clearly were other things out there happening. There clearly were. And Katie Hobbs, maybe she was nothing but a vocal fry, sort of vacant, empty suit. I don't know. I Maybe Arizona voted for that. Who the hell knows? But there probably was something more than that. Unless you lived in Arizona, you likely didn't see it. Because if you, well, you watched MSNBC where... It was, she's the greatest thing since sliced bread. My God, she's the savior of all of us. And Carrie Lake is a monster. And on Fox, you got Carrie Lake can do no wrong. And it's already done. There's no reason to bother voting, as a matter of fact. It's already such a foregone conclusion, which is a huge mistake to make. It's a really dumb thing to to do. And there's something to be said for projecting confidence, but you don't ever project victory. There's a difference between confidence and cockiness. And projecting cockiness means, why the hell should I bother? Why should I bother? So she lost. She lost. They called the race yesterday, finally. That was... There are still some House races out there. Republicans, you want to know how sad it is, how bizarre it is. Republicans are on pace to... They've got 217 race call, and I think you need 218, so one more to go. There are a couple out there that should have been called by now. If they were Democrats in the lead, they definitely would have been called by now. But that's not the way the media works. That's not the way the Associated Press works. So they're going to wait until the last dying breath of Democrats. But there is a possibility that today, tomorrow, next couple of days, we should have the official balance of the House known. Like I say, one more Republican victory gives them the House. There are a bunch of outstanding seats. So it's 
likely that Republicans will win one of them. I don't want to spike the football on the five-yard line, but just give you a heads up in general. Certainly not at all what people were expecting. Now, why? You can blame Trump for some of it. You can. He, uh, there's a meme going around, and it's false. It's a lie. It's a, it's a bunch of garbage. Donald Trump was 219 and 7 or something like that. I don't know what the number is. In his, in his endorsements. Pretty good record. Pretty good. He's at 95%. You don't get credit for all the victories. You don't get credit for all the... If you predict that Marco Rubio is going to win, you endorse Marco... You don't get credit for that. I'm sorry. It was pretty clear that Marco Rubio was always going to win. He might have pretended to be scared or might have actually been a little bit scared a month ago or whatever, but it was a foregone conclusion. The power of incumbency is incredible, as we learn every election cycle. But it's not the same as saying, oh my goodness, I predict this one, I predict that one, I endorse this candidate. The candidates that he endorsed, the candidates that he came up with, that he supported from nothing that had never run before, overwhelmingly lost. Overwhelmingly lost. So you can't get, you don't get credit for all the wins and blame for none of the victories. That being said, the argument, and this is. Uh, an argument that's happening right now. Mitch McConnell's a monster. There are two factions in the Republican Party, it seems. The Trump Party, uh, the Trump wing, and the McConnell wing. And both are blaming the other side for the losses, for 100% of the losses. Whereas it's there's enough blame to go around. It was a big enough failure to go around. But I will warn you on this. They say, oh, if Mitch McConnell had only spent some money on someone like Blake Masters. It would have made all the difference in the world because Mark Kelly had $80 million. That's the power of incumbency. Mark Kelly had $80 million and Blake Masters got within four or five points or whatever the hell it was with only a fraction of that, like 10% of that. Okay, yeah, there's a an argument to be made that more money would have helped, but then there's a lot of cases where more money didn't make a difference. Politics is littered with people who spent big and lost. Stacey Abrams was never without money. Stacey Abrams had more money than she knew what to do with. In Georgia, she lost. Beto O'Rourke was a darling of the left. Oh, my goodness, he could swim in money. Not only that, he's filthy rich and his wife is filthy rich. There was no shortage of money, but you can't polish a turd. You can't do it. So what do you get? Where do you where does the line begin and end? Where I don't know, but you can't say for certain. The people who are saying Mitch McConnell really dropped the ball by not spending more money on Blake Masters is uh, are it's unprovable and undisprovable. There's also the fact that the president of the United States, former president of the United States, is sitting on 100 million dollars in his super PAC money. And they seem to have spent most of it on themselves. Well, the, the money they spent only about fifteen million. They uh, spent most of that on their their own salaries and travel. Fifteen million, but it's like fourteen million on travel. Something ridiculous like that. Not a whole lot of ads bought for the candidates that Donald Trump endorsed. 
Mitch McConnell's running for Senate Majority Leader. Should he be reelected or Senate Minority Leader, I guess, since the Senate was called over the weekend uh, for Democrats? Should he get that? My instinct is to say no, but then the question comes up, who else can get the support of Republicans? Who can get enough votes? Who wants to sit down and eat that bowl of excrement every day? Not many people. There's something wrong with anybody who wants that job. Mitch McConnell wants that job. As a minority leader, you can't really do too much. If he was a majority leader, it'd be much different. Majority leader gets to decide what legislation comes to the floor of the Senate, what legislation gets, um, gets voted on, who gets the chairmanship of various committees. That's a big, important job. Minority leader is like the coach of the second string defense or the 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 guy who gets to make the calls on uh, first and 10 on the other teams it's like insignificant you're all right you're the i know everybody who loves football like, you're gonna make fun of special teams coach yeah i was but i'm not going to i'm gonna stop myself but you get the idea minority leader is different from majority leader majority leader there'd be a lot more at stake minority leader is a thankless job where you have to deal with a whole bunch of people who don't like you already, who are demanding things and spend a lot of time criticizing you, all while you have to go out and raise a bunch of money and recruit candidates to try and and win the next time because the next election cycle has begun. Who else could do that job? You might want, look, if it was a Republican majority leader, I'd love to have somebody out there, a Mike Lee sitting there, a principled constitutional conservative, willing and capable of making very elaborate arguments based on the Constitution, being able to message on the importance of conservatism, all those things. He'd be great on offense. On defense, I'm not really sure that Mike Lee is the guy. There's a difference. Rand Paul, I'd love to have him up. If you got a, a solid majority in the in the Senate, having Rand Paul out there would be freaking awesome. He'd just be batting around the leftists and, and a whole bunch of squishy Republicans telling them what for and this is how it's going to be and this is why it should be. It would be great. But the job of the Senate right now for Republicans is to stop bad things from happening. That's it. Sad to say. And those bad things are likely, since it's a Democrat-majority Senate, are likely going to be personnel decisions. People who are absolutely horrible, who subscribe to critical race theory, who adhere to all the left-wing dogma and indoctrination techniques, who are out there and uh, they're going to be appointed by this president to positions that matter in our government. And you've got to stop that. You've got to stop that from happening. The only way to stop that is to convince some Democrats, maybe, that this person is far too radical. Now, that's a tall order because the Democrats are far too radical. The person who is least likely to be able to convince some Democrats to say, you know what, I don't really care for that person's attitude, is someone like a Rand Paul. Because Rand Paul would make a principled constitutional argument, and it doesn't matter. That doesn't appeal to Democrats, so it wouldn't, it wouldn't go anywhere. Mitch McConnell and his horse trading and his arm twisting and whatever the hell it is that he does behind the scenes stands a better chance. Is it ideal? No. Do I wish there were better options? Of course. But uh, Rick Scott down in Florida 
is the only person who seems to be interested in the job besides Mitch McConnell. And Rick Scott is one of the least compelling human beings on the face of the earth. Now, granted, Arizona just elected governor, one of the least compelling human beings on the face of the earth. So there's a room for that in politics. And there's a lot of really weird people in politics, too. But Rick Scott also was the one who introduced his plan to, as good as it may be, to say, well, every five years we have to vote on whether or not to keep Social Security going, whether or not we have to keep Medicare going. That scared the hell out of seniors that Democrats demonized and weaponized in the election. Republicans want to get rid of Social Security and Medicare. That was Rick Scott. He's one guy. His one plan had had absolutely no support within the Republican caucus, but because he's so tone deaf to messaging, they made it about every Republican, and uh, he sat there and kind of let that happen. So I'm not really sure that that guy's the guy either. Sometimes there are no good choices in politics. Hell, look at almost every presidential election. But uh, sometimes you just got to dance with the girl who brung you. I don't know. I'd much rather be fighting over who's going to lead a triumphant party than who's going to lead a failing one. In looking at what uh, the, the announcement could be from the former president or whatever, there's a lot of people, myself included, who believe that Donald Trump would have one hell of a case for his, or certainly a stronger case, for his being the Republican nominee in 2024, if he is able to help drag Herschel Walker across the finish line in Georgia. That, I I think, if he does that, it's still a 50-50 Senate. It's not control of the United States Senate. And, you know, there's a thing. Donald Trump has already announced he's going to have a big announcement. So he's got to have some kind of announcement. If it was, I'm not going to make any announcement. I'm going to spend, I'm going to basically move to Georgia and make sure that my friend, Herschel Walker, he's been friends with Herschel Walker since he owned the New Jersey Generals of the USFL back in 84 or 5 or whenever it was, and they drafted Herschel Walker. Yeah, I'm going to put that on hold, and the only thing that matters to me is making sure that Herschel Walker is the next United States senator from the state of Georgia. That would be huge. That would be huge. That would go a long way toward muting a lot of the criticisms of Donald Trump, too. It really would. Well, Donald Trump is only in it for himself. Donald Trump needs to do something for the party, blah, blah, blah. Well, here he is. He's going to set up shop. He's going to spare no expense. And that wouldn't come out of his own pocket. But of the $100 million that he's raised, he's going to spare no expense to make sure that Herschel Walker is the next United States senator from Georgia. Now, this would actually not, not be as difficult as it seems because Democrats know that they already have control of the Senate. This seat maintains the status quo. Democrats don't want the status quo. Democrats wanted to replace... Kirsten Cinema and uh, Joe Manchin to get yes votes for changing the uh, filibuster rules. I think there's been a Democrat change. See, I think you can probably get the uh, the filibuster rules changed. You could with 51 votes. Now nah, I guess you'd need 52. Now that I think about it, but still, it'd be closer. And I wouldn't bet anything on. The word of Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin is, uh, (sighs) there's something wrong with that guy. But it gets Democrats closer. 
this would be a huge moral victory and it would allow Donald Trump to make the argument, hey, look at what I can do. I did this or I helped do this. There's no ambiguity of him. All I endorse somebody who's going to win. All right. Congratulations. You don't really get credit for endorsing Chuck Grassley, for example, in Iowa. The Iowans have been electing Chuck Grassley since before anybody alive was born. So you don't really get credit for that one. You don't get credit for Marco Rubio. You don't get credit for Ron DeSantis. You don't get credit for the people who were reelected. You want credit for somebody who came out of nowhere. You were a late endorser of J.D. Vance. I guess you can have credit for that one. But realistically, when it's the only race in the country, you can make a difference in Herschel Walker because Herschel Walker, Herschel Walker, you picked to run. Herschel Walker, you nudged to run. You want to get him across the finish line. Then you can talk about the influence you have in a state, you know, a state that you lost and in a state that elected two Democrats when you were president of the United States to the Senate. If you can flip that, then we have a serious conversation on our hands. That's what if I had my way, that's what the announcement would be. I doubt it'll be that, but it would be nice. That's the one thing everybody has to remember is there's there's plenty of blame to go around. It's how much you decide to blame somebody or something. No one is above any sort of responsibility for what happened. And you, uh, there are, if you remember back in, well, you probably wouldn't remember this. There's no reason to remember this. If you go back to the early 2000s, Republicans put a focus on local elections, on states, on winning governorships and winning state legislatures. Why? Because they're the ones who get to draw the lines in congressional redistricting. And it worked. Republicans did that in 2010. They had a majority of House and Senate and state state legislatures and governor's mansions across the country, and they redrew favorable districts for Republicans in those states. Democrats did the same thing in Democrat states, but Republicans controlled more states. That led or helped lead to Republican dominance in the House for a good chunk of the decade. They took the House back in 2010. They kept the House easily until 2018. It was by focusing locally. Democrats learned from that. They did know that. They launched a whole bunch of projects and nonprofits going, well, we need to go and work toward uh, blah, 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 redistricting and stop gerrymandering, stop gerrymandering. They made gerrymandering long word into a four-letter word and then ignored Democrat gerrymandering completely, like here in Maryland. They just ignored it. They didn't care. It's, it was completely hypocritical, but they didn't care. I mean, who's going to hold them accountable? So that was the Democrats in response to this. Now, it's worked out in some cases for them. Like in Michigan, they flipped the the state legislature. It was Republican-controlled. Now, they will, I'm sure, try to redistrict, even though redistricting is done. There's always lawsuits and and judges saying, no, you got to go do this again. Michigan will find a way. Democrats find a way. But Democrats have also focused on something that Republicans have largely ignored, and that is local election officials, local officials that have a role in election. It's not just secretaries of state. Depending on the various states, there are people in each county that manage elections. 
those are partisan or no, they can be nonpartisan, but nonpartisan is just they don't put party affiliation down there. You know exactly what party affiliation these people have. And all of these things are out there. They're not romantic. They're not high profile. People don't pay attention to them. It's a lot like, and hopefully this changes, it's a lot like the school board used to be. Remember school board? Like, ah, who cares about school board? School board is school board. You went to school. They focused on uh, making sure the kids are learning. That's the job of a school board. No, it's supposed to be the, the mission of a school board, but it's not what they're doing anymore. They got a new mission. It's forcing critical race theory down your kids' throats, depending on where you live, or this radical transgender crap, or whatever it is. That suddenly became the focus of the school boards. Now, that didn't come the focus of the school boards because school boards were balanced between conservatives and liberals. That became the focus of school boards because liberals had dominated it. And they didn't do it in your face. They just started doing it. They just started pushing this sort of thing. They allowed it. They encouraged it. They passed little resolutions that say, you know what? Kids can use whatever bathroom they feel like. And they didn't hold, they held public hearings because they had to, but they didn't advertise it. And most people weren't paying attention because the school board is interested in kids learning, right? That's what the school board, that's what people thought. And they weren't. They weren't at all. Once people caught a whiff of it during COVID, then they wised up. And now we're seeing school boards across the country flipping to be run by conservatives. And they're going to get back to educating kids. They're going to have to fight the teachers individually on a lot of this crap. But at least the fight has been engaged. As far as the local election officials go, that fight is yet to be engaged. Maybe this election will wake people up. And you sit there and you go, how in the hell does it take a week and a half to count these ballots. Well, it's because they set rules, state, county, local, whatever, on when they can count ballots. Most of it's state, but it's set with input from the local people. And then it's ultimately the local people that actually do it. And they have these asinine rules to say, we have to wait. You can have mail-in ballots until Saturday after the election, and you can't open any of them until that deadline. Well, that's wildly stupid. That's incredibly stupid. But they do it. It's out there. You can uh, have the, what is it? Lauren Boebert is out there. Her fate is allegedly, I haven't seen the numbers. They're hard to find. It's just written as gospel fact. But her fate, whether or not she's going to return to Congress, she's ahead right now is Colorado law allows people who mailed in ballots to, quote-unquote, cure them. Cure them. To uh, Now, to cure them means what? And they have until, I think, this weekend to, quote-unquote, cure them. You, you send in a ballot. Your name's Bob Johnson, all right? You're Bob Johnson, and the, the ballot says it's from Bob Johnson. The envelope indicates that it's from Bob Johnson, not the ballot. And you didn't, it says sign and date across the bottom, period, end of story, or this vote will be invalid. And you didn't. You signed it maybe, or you dated it, but you didn't sign it, whatever it is. Your vote will be rejected, as it should be, because you didn't follow the rules. Well, in most cases, it should just be rejected outright. It's like, sorry, you're, you're too dumb to not to be able to follow the rules. You don't get to vote. I don't care which way you're inclined to vote. Well, in certain states, you're given time 
to go in and make up for your mistake, for your inability to follow the most basic of rules written all over the envelope. You get another week to go in, and if you didn't sign it, you can sign it. Or if you didn't date it, you can date it, or whatever. And right now, Democrats are scrambling to identify the people. They know who these people are who have ballots that have been rejected. They're scrambling to find the people to come in who they think are Democrats. Come in and cure your ballot. That's what they call it. They call it curing your ballot. So whether or not Democrats can bus enough people to the polls to fix their mistake when their mistake is obvious and they shouldn't be allowed to fix it is really where the fate of Lauren Boebert is. Now, Lauren Boebert's seat isn't going to make a difference in the control of the House of Representatives, but she has been a vocal conservative and a critic of Democrats, and they would like nothing more than to see her defeated. It's a mess, but it's because these local officials, and in in Arizona, the woman who is in charge of Maricopa County elections, she has pictures of herself on her social media with Katie Hobbs, with Gabby Giffords, with Mark Kelly, and talking about how they're all so wonderful and thanking them for what they're doing and blah, 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 blah. The local officials matter. If Republicans don't start waking up to, it's not as romantic, it doesn't pay as well, it's not as as uh, prestigious, what have you, of you know this office or that office on a national level. But in many ways, it's just as, if not more so, important. Republicans need to learn this crap. They also need to learn how to play the mail-in ballot game. You can think mail-in ballots are crap, and they are. And the ease of ballot, an absentee ballot without excuse, it's all crap, and, and a month of voting is garbage. But as long as it's the rules, you damn well better learn to play by them. You better learn to take advantage of it. Republicans say, oh, vote on one day. Vote on election day. Okay, great. Get out there and vote. What if something happens? What if your car doesn't start? What if you got sick? What if what if whatever happens? Democrats have given themselves weeks or a month of voting. And in that time, they're allowed to go and able to go to people and say, fill out your ballot. And then they harvest that ballot in states that allow ballot harvesting. While Republicans sit there and go, harumph. I do not like ballot harvesting. Okay, that's all well and good. doesn't matter. It's the law of the land. You're kneecapping yourself. You're pulling a galuli on yourself. You don't have to like the rules, but you damn well better learn to win with them, to use them to your advantage. You can fight to change them and use them simultaneously. Get good at mail-in ballots. Get good at ballot harvesting. Do all of that crap to level the playing field. Stop just saying vote on election day and that's it. Or you're going to continue to lose. If you just want to continue to lose, you know, the high road, as I say, all taking the high road does is give you a really nice view of your defeat. If you're content with that, you can be content with that. I'm not content with that. Be nice if Republicans would wake the hell up and learn these lessons. I'm looking at the Twitter machine and it's kind of funny. The left is, in the midst of everything else going on, the left is still upset about Elon Musk. Elon Musk, how dare he take over Twitter? How dare he, he, how dare he use his own money to do whatever? The Biden administration, maybe we should look into whether or not he has done something illegal. That's not how our justice system is supposed to work. It's supposed to be, there's a crime, let's find out who did it. Not, uh, where's, there's a person, let's find out if they've committed any crimes. I promise you, I promise you, you have committed crimes. 
I promise you that you have likely committed multiple felonies within the recent recent past. Why? Because we've criminalized so very many things. We really have. And if a government official really wanted to come after you, they could. Look at what happened to all the Trump administration officials who were indicted on various things, who were investigated for various things, were, uh, you know, what was it? Uh, oh, God, I can't remember that guy's name. Not Bannon. I know Bannon, but Paul, Paul Manafort. Paul Manafort, convicted of something that you know, no other human being has really been convicted of in, in decades. He failed to register as a foreign agent. Okay, what about the son of the president of the United States? He's taken in you know, tens of millions of dollars from foreign governments, that seems like it. While his father's vice president of the United States seems like that might be, I don't know, peddling influence or representing that. Did he represent them? We don't know. Joe says he never talked to him about his businesses, but then... Joe met an awful lot of times with his business partners. So it seems like Hunter could be open to that charge. There's no interest in that. You had uh, had Democrats actually charged with that, and uh, they were found not guilty of it because that's the way it works. That's how it works. But anyway, looking at uh, this guy, this guy, Kurt Wagner, not the football player. He covers social media for Bloomberg Business. And he's the left is going crazy. Oh, my goodness. Elon Musk is firing people at Twitter. Yeah, he is. Twitter is bloated. You don't lose billions of dollars annually without being a bloated business. Now, it might just be that there's no profitable business model for Twitter. That remains to be seen. But there certainly is no profitable business model that has you, uh, you know, employing a team of sushi chefs to make whatever you want and feed your employees for free at the, uh, the work campus. That's just not, first of all, your work should be a workplace, not a campus. You shouldn't have a game room. You should be going there to work. That's just, I can't even imagine what it would be like to go to a place where like, you know what, what are you doing at 10 o'clock? I don't know. I got a bunch of stuff to read and some emails to respond to. Why? What's up? Let's go play some air hockey at 10. All right. Let's go play air hockey at 10. And you'll wonder why that business model isn't profitable in perpetuity. It's amazing. What is it? Facebook the other day laid off 13,000 people. And that was a tiny fraction of their workforce. And you think maybe, just maybe, they've got too many people. Maybe they got too many people. Well, Elon Musk is letting people go. And it turns out that a lot of the people he's letting go are people who, as you might imagine in a company dominated by left-wing nutballs, a lot of people he's letting go are left-wing nutballs who've been critical of him. Even though even though he's a progressive guy himself, he dared say some nice things about Republicans, and that's enough. And he also said some things about free speech. It's weird is the left used to claim domain over the concept of free speech. The ACLU was right there. We will fight to the death, freedom of speech. People can do whatever. They represented the Democratic Klan in Skokie, Illinois to march through there. They were absolutists when it came to free speech. Now they're not absolutists when it comes to free speech anymore. Because conservatives might uh, you know, exercise free speech in their donor base is a bunch of fascists who don't like the idea of people they don't like speaking freely. 
So things have changed around the world, and now you get things like, quote, Elon Musk, a self-described free speech absolutist, all in scare quotes, has fired at least two senior Twitter engineers who called him out publicly on Twitter. Now, you have to remember, we live in a world where people are incredibly stupid, especially people in positions that you're supposed to trust and respect, such as journalism. They just are. They're stupid. The idea of who called him out publicly, that sounds like they're saying, I believe you're running this company wrong. I believe you're doing this. I feel you're doing this wrong. No, called him out publicly now means you swore about him on social media. You called him a, a this bag or a this thing or whatever. You, you did all these things. That's not calling somebody out. That's being a child. That's being a, going through a temper tantrum. That's It's the equivalent of calling somebody a poopy pants or whatever it is. You send somebody nasty emails and you go, oh, I'm so smug and I feel so superior. You send out a tweet and your virtue signal. It's mostly, it's not for your boss. It's for the rest of the world to see. So you can seem super cool. Now, in a lot of these cases, if not most of, if not all of these cases, I would say that these people knew that their jobs were on the chopping block. If your job is superfluous, if your job is irrelevant, if you are anywhere in government, except in government, if you're a non-essential employee in government, you're going to be there forever. You're going to get your pension. It's going to be all good. But if you're in the private sector and you get the sense that, you know what, if they eliminated my entire department, Nobody would notice, and it wouldn't make much of a difference. Or, you know, there are 15 of us working in this group, and really only five of us are needed. If you're in that situation, you can probably see the writing on the wall, especially when it comes to a time when you're looking, staring down the barrel of a recession, and you are looking at uh, somebody buying the company, coming in to try and make it look leaner. You know it's coming. You know that your job is on the chopping block. And so you're going to go out swinging so you can then, you also know that the left hates that guy who's ultimately going to fire you. That gives you the opportunity to get out in front of it and become a martyr slash hero to these people. So you do what? You, quote, call out publicly Elon Musk criticizing him oh he's a nut job he's a he's a this he's a that he's another thing they're bashing their boss now the first amendment is where free speech comes from free speech does not grant you the freedom to speak however you like to anybody you like if i on the radio choose to call out the president of the United States, no big deal. I choose to call out my bosses. They're going to have a problem with that. Luckily, they don't do anything that deserves to be called out. Wink, wink, kiss, kiss. But in, you get the idea. Also, as far as my free speech goes, I can't sit there and go, F this guy, F that guy, blah, blah, blah. You can't do that. You can't do that. There are rules. There are rules and regulations. That's the FCC. That's the public airways. That's a whole other thing. But it's different from calling out your boss. And you say, well, I think that this guy is terrible and he's making bad decisions and he's got bad breath and I don't like him. That is not protected speech. Protected speech is speech protected from the government. You cannot be thrown in jail 
for saying the president of the United States is a horrible person. He's suffering from dementia. He's a bad guy. He's corrupt as the day is long and his family has made millions of dollars through corrupt business deals and the media is an awful and complicit organization as they cover for this guy. I can say that without threat of going to jail, at least for now. Now, they can sick the rest of government on me for different reasons because of that, and that's the real threat to free speech. But if you want to criticize your boss, you can, but you get consequences for that, unlike government isn't supposed to have consequences. It's just that Joe Biden and Democrats have implied them. So if you're sitting there and saying, like this other woman, this, uh, who is, what is her name? They found a third person who got fired. What is her name? Sack, Sacky? Who the hell knows? It's at Sacky. Um, somehow she's managed to not have a real name on Twitter. But she is another Twitter employee. She said, LOL, just got fired for a poop posting. She didn't put poop posting. I said it before. I'll say it again. Kiss my ass, Elon. She's very, very... Well, okay. If you are going to sit there... First of all, she probably knew that her job was on the line. But she likely... She's a power dangerous Diet Coke. She was a lead software engineer at Twitter. She likely knew that her job was on the line. Elon Musk brought a whole bunch of software engineers from Tesla over to Twitter, making a lot of those jobs irrelevant. Plus, a lot of these people are reluctant to change. They like the way things are. But you can get fired for that. That is not a First Amendment issue. That the media would mistake that is very bizarre. It shows a lack of intelligence on behalf of the media people. They go, oh, this is a... Horrible, horrible thing. It's a threat to the First Amendment. No, you have no First Amendment protection to slam your boss. Slam your government, sure. Not your boss. That's not the way it works. Sorry, pal. Meanwhile, you got Ed Markey, who is the lead Democrat in the United States Senate on tech issues. He is. He is one of the people in the when he was back in the House in Massachusetts, Democrats fail up. When he was in the House, he was one of the people pushing for net neutrality. A horrible idea. That we're all, it was supposed to save the internet and we we're all going to die. The internet was going to die without it. The Trump administration came in, killed net neutrality after Obama put it in place. And what a lo and behold, the internet is still out there. Ed Markey warned Elon Musk that, quote, fix your companies or Congress will. Why? What right does Congress have to do with any of this? What business do they have in saying any of this? any say over a private company. They don't. But they also don't have anything to hold them in check. And this is the importance of the election. If Republicans manage to take over the House, they will at least be able to put on hold these fascistic impulses of Democrats in the United States Senate. That being said, there will still be congressional hearings. I promise you in the next six months, probably the next three months, Elon Musk will be subpoenaed to testify before probably the Science and Technology Committee in the United States Senate. I think that's where Ed Markey is. He will be grilled. And afterwards, there will be allegations that Elon Musk lied. He lied. He lied. And there will be calls for an investigation by 
the Justice Department to find out whether or not he should be charged with perjury. We are seeing now the laying in the ground, the plowing for the planting of the seed of a perjury trap. Why? All because Elon Musk, that evil SOB, is supportive of free speech. (laughs) Honestly, that's it. That's it. He's a supporter of free speech. They will accuse him of everything. They will tear his company apart. Meanwhile, you've got this guy over there, the company FTX. It's a crypto exchange. A guy named Sam Bankman Freed. Freed or fried? I don't know. Sam Bankman Freed, I think it is. 23 or $32 billion. Gone. Where'd it go? We don't know. Hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. We don't know. I mean, the money is the value. The assets have been so dispersed. The second biggest donor to Democrats this election cycle. Its money has been spread around like crazy in what appears to be a Ponzi scheme. And the New York Times ran a piece about how he had a troubled childhood, but he's doing all right now. And he's he's sleeping better. And he's he's just kind of as shocked as anybody else. What's going on here? No, they're comparing him to Bernie Madoff. This F, uh, the uh, CNN business. FTX crash is eerily similar to Bernie Madoff scandal. Ex-regulator Sheila, regulator Sheila Baer says, okay, you can talk about it in terms of Bernie Madoff. Why do you talk about it in terms of Bernie Madoff? Because it's a scam. It's a scam. It makes sense. But if you're talking about it in Bernie Madoff, you're talking about it, but you're not mentioning his ties to the Democratic Party. You're not mentioning the fact that he was the second largest Democrat donor this election cycle. Tens of millions of dollars that seem to have been stolen from his investors. People went broke. Normal people went broke. Sam Bankman Free didn't go broke. He's apparently, he might be on the run. He might be looking at uh, the non-extradition countries. But what's really interesting here, and watch it and see how it plays out. Democrats, like I say, got tens of millions of dollars from this guy. And it turns out it probably wasn't from his personal bank account. And even if it was from his personal bank account, it was likely grifted and lifted from his company in a scam. Will there be a push? Will there be a call to put that money back? People who had legitimately invested money into Bernie Madoff and had cashed out because they just did. Maybe they thought, well, this gravy train can't roll on forever. I want to get my money out because nobody's that good forever. Those people who withdrew their money legitimately had no idea that it was a scam. They saw their money clawed back to be spread out evenly amongst everybody. The feds went after average citizens and said, no, this was ill-gotten gains. It doesn't matter that you weren't in on it. It doesn't matter that you didn't know that these were ill-gotten gains. We have to seize this property back. Now, will they do the same thing to these Democrats, to these Democrat organizations, to these Democrat super PACs, to these Democrat candidates? Will there be that push? I doubt it. Doesn't ever seem to work that way. They wait until the conviction comes in and then they go, oh, uh, this guy who killed gay black men. I can't remember the guy's name in in, uh, California is now serving life in prison. Big Democrat donor, known for overdosing gay black men. 
big friends with Eric Swalwell, with Adam Schiff, with Ted Lieu, big Democrat donor. It wasn't until he was convicted they said, all right, well, he gave me uh, $5,000. I will donate $5,000, the $5,000 he gave, even though that money's long since spent, to charity. Donate $5,000 to charity. That's not really doing anything about it. It is for show. It is virtue signaling. Of course, the way to go about it properly is to do your due diligence about the scumbags from whom you seek support um, actively before the body count starts piling up. The thing in this case is to maybe wonder how a 30-year-old got his hands on tens of billions of dollars and was the second largest funder of Democrats. Don't get into bed with that guy until you know something more about him. But they don't care. The prostitute doesn't care where the money comes from. They're only in it for the cash. I'm looking at my emails as I'm I'm doing the show. I keep getting emails. Let's see. I've gotten four emails in less than an hour about Warnock and from Warnock people and Warnock, like Raphael Warnock, swear to God, they are desperate for cash. Like, there's a lot of groups out there desperate for cash. They are, uh, they'll tell you, we're raising money. Like, don't, if I give anybody any advice, don't ever give any organization, political organization money unless you're confident you know where it's going or you you, you don't care where it's going. Otherwise, just give money directly to the campaign or the state party or something. But if you got more money than that and you know what to do with, then I guess you'll you can have a say over where it goes. But normal people giving you know fifty bucks, a hundred bucks on their credit card too. That's what these people are. They talk about the grassroots support for Democrats. That's what that is. It's people maxing out their credit cards. It's suckers. Don't fall for it. This doesn't matter, Republican, Democrat, could be your favorite politician, could be your least favorite politician. Don't do it. It's a scam. Looking at this, your gift quadrupled. It's from the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee, the DSCC. There's a big picture of Barack Obama. Barack Obama wouldn't lie, would he? It says, breaking, Georgia's must-win Senate race goes to runoff, and Senator Warnock leads by two points. Why is it must win? Democrats have control of the Senate. And then there's Obama there with a quote from him saying, or alleged quote, who knows if he says it. It's a campaign quote, so probably they say anything. He says, uh, if we want Joe Biden to succeed, we need Raphael Warnock in the Senate. Oh, all right. Well, then let me get my credit card out and go deeper into debt so that I can help millionaires get elected. Raphael Warnock, whose church, his church is paying for his mortgage. His church is paying for more than his mortgage. His church is paying him a fortune while he's a United States senator because these people make the rules and uh, they're scumbags. Don't, I wouldn't give Warnock a penny. So, Derek, Democrats like Senator Warnock need your help to hold on against millions in right-wing dark money. Yeah, you're asking for dark money. Rush five dollars, it becomes twenty right now to help win states win in states like Georgia. What do you mean win in states like Georgia? See, that's how they're getting around it. 
That's very key. When in states like Georgia, now they're supposedly fundraising for one state. There's only one state where there's going to be an election related to the United States Senate, and that is Georgia. But states like Georgia, what do you mean states like Georgia? Well, it's because they just want your money. They don't give a damn. They don't plan on spending it in Georgia. They really don't care about Georgia. They want Raphael Warnock to win, sure. It'll allow Democrats to say, we've got a couple of black senators. We're cool. We're not racist at all. Not at all. Those Republicans with only one black senator are racists. We have two. We're not racist. That's it. That's the, the bragging rights. Raphael Warnock, it doesn't matter. They've got control of the United States Senate. What they want is your money. And this is an opportunity to get into your wallet. They pretend that it's, oh, your money's going to be quadrupled. It's going to be quadrupled. How? There are laws that dictate how much money anybody can give to any of these organizations, right? You can max out to an individual candidate, I think it's like 2600 bucks. There isn't a special waiver that for super rich people, they can give more. There are ways for rich people to give more. They spread it around to local parties and then state parties and then the national party. You can give hundreds of thousands of dollars and it will buy you all sorts of access. It will. Don't let anybody tell you differently. It doesn't matter who the president is. It will buy all sorts of access. But for normal human beings, there are limits. If you gave $5 and it becomes $20, they tell you, they never say who, but they always say, we have a rich donor or two that are going to make sure that that money is doubled, quadrupled, tripled, whatever, whatever it is. They never say who they are. They never say that it's limited to any amount of money because it's not, because there is nobody donating this. They might as well claim that they have a unicorn that will eat your $5 and poop out a 20 and that's it. And then you say, well, why don't we use that to pay off the debt or pay for Joe Biden's spending? It's all a lie. It's a scam. Don't fall for it. Don't give these people money. Quadruple match, triple match, or enter to win a contest to see me come to be at this event. with No. No. They're scams. They're all scams to get in your wallet, usually in your credit card. Don't fall for it. Derek, this is urgent. After months of battling it out in the polls, Georgia's must-win Senate race is going to a runoff. But while Republicans prepare to spend millions to flip this seat, polls show that well, Republicans are... I love how they always say Republicans are willing to do anything to win, while the Democrats are willing to like throw puppies into a wood chipper if that, they think that it would give them an electoral advantage. It's always the other side. is just so evil. They're willing to spend any amount of money Really? Because Raphael Warnock, I think, spent like $60 million. Something tells me that Herschel Walker didn't spend that much. Mark Kelly, out in Arizona, had $80 million at his disposal because he's an incumbent. That's the way incumbency works. All that lobbyist cash, all these evil, dark money people. And you look at it and you go, well, Democrats outspent Republicans on most of these races by quite a wide margin. That's why all the whining about Mitch McConnell didn't do enough. Mitch McConnell didn't have nearly as much money as Democrats did because Republicans are in the minority. I tell you, Mitch McConnell spent everything he had. I can't say that same thing for everybody who raised money about the elections in 2020. Another one, Democratic Governors Association. 
Derek. Mitch McConnell is petrified that history will repeat itself and Senator Raphael Warnock will win the Georgia runoff, expanding Democrat Senate majority. <laughs> he just enlisted the modern-day architect of voter suppression, Brian Kemp, to try and save Herschel Walker's faltering campaign. You mean the governor of the state is going to get involved in, in an election? The hell you say. I love it. The modern-day voter architect of, of voters. Voting was up in Georgia. Would that everybody was that suppressed. Somebody could suppress my bank account by adding money to it. Would you please suppress my bank account by adding money to it? That will be wonderful. You have to sit there and you watch this stuff, you read this stuff, and you yeah. there's no other thought except... Who's dumb enough for this to work on? Who does this work on? Who are these people? And why can't, if I had no scruples, I would sit there and go and, and form a, a pack and just go give me your money. And I swear to God, without it, so-and-so, whatever the latest boogeyman is, wins. These are scams. These are people, by the way, I have received, I counted them since, oh, another one literally just came in. Now it's it's 55. I have received 59 emails from the Warnock campaign, the Democrat National Committee, the group Stop Republicans, or the Democratic National Training Committee. 59 since Election Day. Just looking at today, right now, one, two, three, four, five. Here's the fifth email coming in. This one is from Train Democrats. Look, I'll keep this short. Our Senate race in Georgia is officially going to a runoff with less than 30 days to defend my seat. Now, it's supposedly from Raphael Warnock. With 30 days to defend my seat, Republicans are doing everything in their power to defeat me. Oh, my God. You mean one political party is trying to win against another political party? The hell you say? That's why Donald Trump has visited our state multiple times to rally the GOP base for my opponent, Herschel Walker, and why Mitch McConnell's super PAC has spent millions smearing me with attack ads. I don't take a cent from corporate PACs. <coughs> B.S. So I'm fully counting on your grassroots support to power our movement to victory. We've done this once before. I know we can do it again. Won't you please split split five dollars between me and the National Democratic Training Committee, as much as you can spare today, to help me defeat Herschel Walker and win Georgia? Give him money, and they'll split it. Now, what's weird is I don't know how this is legal. Political campaigns are not legally allowed to coordinate with super PACs, with political action committees. They're not. At least they used to not be able to. The National Democratic Training Committee is a super PAC. It's not the Democrat Party. How can they do that? Now, it may be that they're just ripping off the money straight up. It's this National Democrat Training Committee just lying and, and taking the money from the group. You'd think somebody would complain about that. But then again, maybe not. Maybe they are coordinating. I don't know how it works. It just seems like it should be illegal if it isn't. Anyway, uh, I want to talk about the media and, and the DeSantis campaign, the assassination of Ron DeSantis. They've already managed to pretty thoroughly assassinate the character of Donald Trump. Think what you will of Donald Trump. 
He's not a homophobe. He's not a racist. He's not an anti-Semite. But the leftist media has spent a lot of time and energy declaring him to be one because it suits their needs. And now there's sadly so many Americans out there who are dumb enough to believe them. Now they're trying to do the same thing to Ron DeSantis because anything that threatens the Democrats must be destroyed. So on MSNBC over the weekend, they convened a panel. And you, you got to just sit there and go, what in the hell is wrong with these people? The host of the MSNBC show, show is Alicia Menendez. It's called American Voices. Now, it's only one side of the American Voices, but it's called American Voices. And Alicia Menendez is Senator Robert Menendez's daughter. Senator Menendez was implicated in a little bit of a problem with prostitution and going into the Caribbean. He denied it, but uh, sources, it wasn't much of a story in the mainstream media. I remember the Daily Caller went at it pretty hard. But uh, yeah, just that's the kind of, look, if you're a child of a Democrat, you're moderately attractive, you can get a job on a left-wing network, or at least get a shot on it. Why not? She convened a panel of experts. <laughs> this is a, meaning the typical left-wing radicals that they have on uh, the show. And they brought in MSNBC columnist Athena Butler. Uh, I don't know what you got to do to be an MSNBC columnist. I imagine it has something to do with, I don't know, suffering a brain injury or something. Maybe that's what Fetterman will do. And she was asked about, they were talking about DeSantis. Now, DeSantis did well amongst Christians. There are a lot of Christians in this country. Democrats don't have any respect for religion whatsoever, at all, under any circumstances. And so, in order for, to appeal to their base, they had to accuse, they had to twist Ron DeSantis's faith used to be a time when this stuff was beyond the pale and people would not even go down this road. It would be sickening to every member of every party to attack people based on their religion. But Democrats don't live in that world anymore. They've now decided that DeSantis is a white Christian nationalist, a racist, a monster, history's greatest, perhaps. Listen to this exchange between these two geniuses. Well, here's the thing with DeSantis. It's not just rhetorical, right? It actually, this idea seeps into his governance. Talk me through that. Well, yeah, it seeps into his governance because the way he thinks about the world is that God has put him in that place to rule over Florida. And so when you see this, when he's against trans kids and the don't say gay bill and all of this, this is part and parcel of what he sees his Christian nationalism to be. So when I saw that commercial, I just laughed because I was like, this is exactly who he thinks he is. He thinks that he has dominion over this earth and God has given it to him. And so it's very important to understand with the people who believe with Christian nationalism, like Ron DeSantis or others, they believe that God has given them dominion. And that dominion means they have dominion over everybody who doesn't believe in God, who doesn't think like they do, and that God created this nation for them and specifically for white men. And so I think that's a very important yes. part of what we're seeing here with Christian nationalism. It's also about race. It's also about race because everything is about race. What's the point in talking about something if you can't weasel race into it, said the leftist, said the MSNBC columnist. 
<laughs> just you imagine MSNBC analyst or uh, columnist and author just for fun. I want to see what uh, this person is, what books this person has written, because I suspect that we're not going to see a whole bunch of bestsellers out there. If anything even comes up on Amazon, white Eva. Oh yes, she's uh, written a book or been part of writing a book. Uh, White Evangelical Racism, The Politics of Morality in America. Oh, in a shocking development. Her opinion dovetails perfectly with what she's written a book about that came out March of last year, 2021. Seems like a hell of a women in the Church of God and Christ making a sacrificial word, all right? And she's one of the contributors to the 1619 Project. Why? Because of course she is. That's what MSNBC does. Amazing, amazing how a racist can find a way to make everything about race. And then, hope you were sitting down for that bit of information. But don't you love that? It's evangelicals, white evangelical, white evangelical nationalism. It's horrible. It's horrible. It's awful. It's racist. He's a racist. Ron DeSantis is a racist. His supporters are racist. Now, what are they doing? It's very early in the game, but what they're doing is preparing and running blocker against 2024. What they're really doing is trying to make even curiosity amongst the casual MSNBC viewer, even curiosity about Ron DeSantis. Maybe maybe I'll see what this DeSantis guy is all about. They're trying to make that toxic. They've spent five, six years doing the exact same thing about Donald Trump, and now no MSNBC viewer would ever go, I want to hear what Donald Trump has to say. No, they won't. They would never. They're trying to do the same thing to Ron DeSantis. They'll do the same thing to any other Republican who dares. Look, there's a lifetime and a half between now and 2024. People will peak. People will valley. People will be all over the map when it comes to their polling. Everybody who comes up, it's the same thing they did to, uh, what's his face? Uh, Herman Cain. Anybody pops up, they will destroy. They're trying to destroy Ron DeSantis. They weren't done. So not to be outdone, the host, Alicia Mendez, goes from Athena Butler, MSNBC columnist and uh, racist author, to a woman called Serene Jones, Reverend Serene Jones. I don't know about you, but I, I like my religion old-timey, you know? I do. I just I do. It's, it's the Catholic in me. I don't like the... I don't like the guy sitting there playing guitar and and uh, just being one of the. And I'm not a big fan of my uh, pastors being married or anything like that. I like the priest. It's sell, you know, there's problems with the Catholic Church. Don't get me started. But that's just kind of my expectation. And I like him male. Oh my God! I just said, yeah. No, the Reverend Serene Jones. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just looking up this. So I I never heard of the Reverend Serene Jones before. And so I looked up the Reverend Serene Jones. Linda Serene Jones, her name is Linda, but she goes by her middle name, Serene. Reverend uh, or, uh, Linda Serene Jones is president and Johnson Family Professor for Religion and Democracy at Union Theological Seminary in the city of New York. She was formerly the Titus Street Professor of Theology I'm going to repeat that title. Titus Street Professor of Theology at Yale Divinity School and Chair of the Gender, 
Women and Sexuality Studies at Yale University. Yeah, so if you're ever wondering where this woman of God is coming from, you can maybe sort of figure out. I don't know what the hell is the Union of Theological, an ecumenical Christian liberal seminary in the Morningside Heights, Manhattan, New York City. It's affiliated with neighboring Columbia University. Boy, you got to really love these leftists. They know how to get their claws into something, and it all leads to money. Something tells me that uh, she's not going without a meal or not going without something. Anyway, she's up there, and Alicia Mendez turns to the reverend. Now, you just heard a racist accuse Christians of being racists. Well, white Christians, non-black Christians, of being racist. And this white woman... Well, might as well have said, can I get an amen? Because, yeah, you're getting amen. Right. I, I, I'm so glad you, you said that because I wanted to tease that out with you, Reverend, because you corrected me when I called it Christian nationalism and said white Christian nationalism. Why is that distinction important? Well, it's very important because you have, when you use the term Christian nationalism, you're by and large talking about the evangelical Protestant community in the United States. And the vast majority of uh, Protestant evangelicals who are communities of color do not vote Republican. It is white Protestants who fall into this category, evangelical, who are following Ron DeSantos, and it is white supremacist. It has a long history um, in the United States of, of, of creating, just as Anthea was saying, a view of what a leader is, and it's a white person, and underneath it, seeping into it, it's a white man, and it is always implicitly, if not bursting through the surface, explicitly racist. But doesn't she seem like a lovely person you'd like to have over for Thanksgiving dinner? I tell you, progressives are progressives first and anything else a very, very, very distant second. And that's what we have here with the right Reverend Serene Jones. She is a progressive. Eh, she's also allegedly a theologian. She's a reverend somehow. Jones is the 16th president of the historic Union Theological Seminary in New York. Uh, the first woman to head the 179-year-old interdenominational seminary, she occupies the Johnson Family Chair for Religion and Democracy and has formed Union's Institute for Women, Religion, and Globalization. Well, it sounds like God is her top priority, isn't it? Isn't it? Uh, as well as the Institute for Art, Religion, and Social Justice. Oh, just sounds like, boy, howdy, I can't wait to fill her collection plate, right? Jones comes to uh, came to Union after 17 years at Yale University, where she was the Titus Street Professor of Theology in the Divinity School and the Chair of Women, Gender, and Sexuality Studies in the Graduate School of Arts and Sciences. She was president of the American Academy for Religion in 2016. How many millions and tens of millions of dollars have been racked up in student loan debt to learn from Reverend Serene Jones over at Yale that led to unemployment. Because what do you do with that? Oh, I've got, I was uh, studied under the Women, Gender, and Sexuality Studies in the Graduate School of Arts and Sciences. Would you like fries with that? God help us all. And then, of course, it says right here, she is, her work has appeared in Time Magazine. All right. And she has written or co-written over 10 articles 
for the Huffington Post. Over 10 whole articles? Is she okay? Is there some sort of fund, we, maybe a hammock fund we could contribute to that maybe she could rest and relax from? That, that's a lot of heavy lifting there. Ten whole articles that she either wrote or co-wrote. Wow. I promise you she's paid hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm just, if I'm betting, I would bet that she is making quite a nice living. And or she comes from money. And or she comes from money. That would be my, oh, wait, here we go. Born Linda Serene Jones on July 31st, 1959. She is the eldest of three daughters. Her mother, Sarah Jones, was a licensed psycho- psychotherapist. Her That begins to bring some things into perspective. Her father, Joe Robert Jones, was a graduate of Yale Divinity School and served as dean of the graduate seminary and president of Phillips University from 1979 to 1988. Now, I told you money was involved there. I could smell it out. But these leftists, it's weird. The more money they have, the more they seem to hate money. The older that money is, the deeper that hatred is. But one thing they all have in common is they never give it away. They never give it away. It's kind of weird that way. Oh, capitalism is awful and money is the root of all evil. They said the statement read issued from their Connecticut estate. Reporters were unable to get past the walls and guards in order to ask any follow-up questions. But boy, howdy, do they hate capitalism. Their uh, butler brought out a statement to that effect, and there's no way a butler would carry out a statement that was untrue, is there? And these people are attacking Ron DeSantis. He's a white Christian nationalist. if If you're a white person and you're a Christian, you're a racist. Your beliefs are founded in racism. And you never be, the only way, the only way to get absolution, which is weird coming from somebody, a person of God, such as Reverend Serene Jones, but it also applies to Reverend Al Sharpton and all these other, a lot of reverends out there without churches. It's weird how that happens. And they're all the only ones that ever get any media attention, except for Flager are these leftists who, uh, oh, yes, I am a reverend. Really? Where's your church? Eh, you know, I don't really have it, but you can, I have a nonprofit you can cut a big check to. I know. <laughs> um, they all have th- this same idea, that religion is secondary, that it's all, ra- everything is racist, everything is horrible, and, and human beings know what's better for the soul than even the Word of God does. It's weird. I don't remember. I mean, maybe I didn't read the Bible all that closely, but I don't remember about white nationalism in there. I don't remember there sitting there saying, hey, you know what? I remember the render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and unto God that which is God's, not render unto Caesar everything that everybody in the, has to give and then let Caesar play God because that's the role of government. I don't know. I might have to go back and reread that. I could be wrong. But I don't think I am. I want to shift gears in the last couple of minutes. I'm going to play you this clip. It's 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 pretty long. It's an N- it's an NBC News report. It's from the Today Show, 
from reporter, I'm not sure how to pronounce this guy's name, even though I've heard it in this clip, Miguel Almagower. I don't know. He's got, he's got a very, very theatrical way of speaking during his reports, during his published, re- during his filed reports. That's the one thing I know. He's got one of those voices that I've heard for years on NBC News. He's like, oh, my goodness, we've got this, that, and the other thing. Okay. Well, he is now suspended by NBC News. Now, what was he suspended from NBC News for? Did he come out as a secret Republican? No. He was the guy on the beat for the Paul Pelosi attack. Remember that? Suddenly, after the election, nobody seems to care about the Paul Pelosi. It's all just done and gone. But um, he filed the following report. I want you to hear the report that he filed so that you know exactly what ended up getting him suspended. He was suspended over this, believe it or not. And you'll be surprised which part of it got him into trouble. National correspondent Miguel Almaguer joins us with the very latest on this. Miguel, good morning. Craig, good morning. When officers arrived here at the Pelosi home exactly a week ago today, they initially didn't have any idea exactly what was going on. They knew they had a high priority call on their hand. What was unclear, what was happening inside the property just behind me. This morning, Paul Pelosi is home, back at the house that became a crime scene a week ago today. NBC News learning new details about the moments police arrived. Sources familiar with what unfolded in the Pelosi residence now revealing when officers responded to the high-priority call, they were seemingly unaware they'd been called to the home of the Speaker of the House. After a knock and announce, the front door was opened by Mr. Pelosi. The 82-year-old did not immediately declare an emergency or tried to leave his home, but instead began walking several feet back into the foyer toward the assailant and away from police. It's unclear if the 82-year-old was already injured or what his mental state was, say sources. According to court documents, when the officer asked what was going on, defendant smiled and said everything's good. But instantaneously, a struggle ensued as police clearly saw David DePap strike Paul Pelosi in the head with a hammer. After tackling the suspect, officers rushed to Mr. Pelosi, who was lying in a pool of What we do know is he brutally attacked Mr. Pelosi and attempted to kill him. After spending several days in the ICU, Pelosi, who is recovering from a fractured skull and serious injuries to his arm and hand, is now home where Capitol Police remain on alert. Investigators have previously said Pelosi did not know DePap when the 42-year-old broke into his home. Why Pelosi didn't try to flee or tell responding officers he was in distress is unclear. Fear takes over. Fear freezes people. This morning, the 82-year-old, lucky to be alive, after an intruder nearly killed him in his own home. Law enforcement, tell, law enforcement officials tell us the bottom line here is this was a terrifying situation. We still don't know exactly what unfolded between Mr. Pelosi and the suspect for the 30 minutes they were alone inside that house before police arrived. Officials who were investigating this matter would not go into further details about these new details. Now, there's a lot to unpack there, but it all made leftists angry. And now Miguel Almagower, whatever, is suspended. 
He's probably on his way out the door. The Daily Beast gleefully reports, they even got their editor-at-large, somebody named Lachlan Cartwright. Something tells me he's born wealthy. He, says, uh, he writes, NBC Today show correspondent Miguel Almayauer has been suspended pending an internal investigation after NBC News had to retract his reporting that inflamed right-wing conspiracy theories about the brutal assault on Paul Pelosi. Ah. Uh, in an on-air report that went viral soon after it aired, El Magar suggested Nancy Pelosi's husband was not in danger when cops arrived at their San Francisco home. He didn't suggest it. He reported what he knew. Quote, after a knock and announced the front door was opened by Mr. Pelosi, the 82-year-old did not immediately declare an emergency or tried to leave his home, but instead began walking several feet back to the foyer toward the assailant and away from police, the report from November 4th said. Quote, it's unclear if the 82-year-old was already injured or what his mental state was, say his source. Sounds pretty legit. Hours later, the report, which was based on an unnamed source, seemingly contradicted the claims of both prosecutors and police. It was retracted, and video of the segment was scrubbed from NBC News' website. Quote, this piece has been removed from publication because it did not meet NBC News reporting standards. Then why was it allowed to be reported? All the editors involved allowed for it to go through. But it doesn't matter. It's now a left-wing conspiracy that it was a right-wing conspiracy. Quote, right-wing media figures immediately took the report and its retraction as proof of a politically motivated cover-up. After a week of grasping at various conspiracy theories to dismiss the assault, which left Pelosi with a cracked skull. Quote, we don't comment on personnel matters, NBC spokesman told the Daily Beast. Algemeyer did not respond to requests for comments. He's been suspended for getting it wrong, apparently, allegedly, getting it wrong. Now, if that's the standard over at NBC News, holy crap, are they going to have anybody left? That doesn't seem to be the standard over at NBC News because of the fact that they, well, they would have nobody left. But wouldn't that be interesting? You got it wrong, but it's only if you get certain things wrong about certain people in a certain way in one direction. You can report all day long about Russian collusion. You can have an entire network donated, dedicated to Russian collusion and face zero consequences when that whole thing blows up in your face and is exposed as a fraud. That's cool. That's totally cool. But if you dare report what sources, presumably within the police department of San Francisco, have told you about the attack on Paul Pelosi, well... You gots to go. That's the way the world works. Sick, sad, perverse. Not surprising. This guy is as liberal as the day is long, too. But he screwed up. He screwed up. And you, if you help the Republicans by reporting the truth, you'll be destroyed. It doesn't matter if you're on the team or not. Lastly, I just want to tell you about this as you uh, enter the cold and flu season. Australia, which had banned Novak Djokovic from coming into the country to play in the Australian Open because he didn't get vaccinated, has now changed their rules. And they're moving away from advocating for booster shots for anybody under the age of 30. Why? Because of all the heart problems that are being reported and the sudden death of a lot of people who are otherwise healthy after getting the shots. Australia is doing that. What is the United States doing 
obey, get more shots, get more shots. Why? Who the hell knows? But I assume it has something to do with payoffs and a lot of people owning stock in Pfizer and Moderna. It's your choice what to do with your body, but pay attention to what's going on around the world. That's enough for today, I think, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back to do it all over again, and we'll have Trump's big announcement. See you then.